0: Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people who know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. All right. Well, good morning. How are we? Great day. Well, that was good. Y'all been practicing. I guess after having to ask you a couple of different times after each week, y'all just know by now that you gotta say good morning. Good morning. Well, it is good to be with you on this beautiful Palm Sunday morning, as we set our hearts and minds on Easter Sunday, which is next week, which is a great season for us to come and to worship the risen Jesus. And so I wanna invite you and actually remind you, last week I talked to you about this. I said, hey, we're gonna do one service, which I know everybody in the room who's looking around going, where in the world are we gonna fit these people? That's a good question. I don't really know, but we're going to squeeze in and we're going to make room for them because we are all in with God, all in with one another, and we want to be together on Easter Sunday as we celebrate the risen Jesus. So here's what I need from you, okay? I need all of us in the room to be flexible and hospitable, okay? So nobody's yelling at anybody when they sit in your seat. All right. That also means that we might have to scoot up. And I know the Holy Spirit moves on the front two rows. But it's going to be okay, okay? So be willing to scoot up. Be willing to squeeze in. We want to be as flexible and as adaptable as we can for the guests who are going to join us next week. Because really it's about him and about him alone, okay? And so thank you for that. I appreciate it. Now, last week we concluded with our series in the book of Nehemiah. It's a great series uh, where we talked about Nehemiah's calling to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. The people do it. Um, but then, if you remember right, Nehemiah returns back to Jerusalem. And as he returns back to Jerusalem, here's what he sees, here's what he finds. The people are right back where they started. The people are right back in the ruins where it all began. And so, he begins to call them back to, to, back to, to be all in once again. Um, the story closes with kind of this hopeless reality that no matter how hard they tried, no matter how much success they experienced or how good their leader was, there was something that was just inescapable. They just could not escape the ruins. And that's really where the story ends. But here's where it concludes. It concludes with their leader, uh, right? Who, fearless leader who does some really, really great things. But even then, he fails them. And he's not the leader that they need, right? He's not the leader who can save them from their ruins, nor is he the leader who can lead them out of their ruins. And so we are left with this question of, well, now what? After all of that, after all that they'd experienced together, now what? Now, here's the deal. Here's the, the story of Nehemiah teaches us. I think at the baseline, base level, foundational truth that we get out of the book of Nehemiah is that all of us in this room have at least one thing in common. And that is no matter how hard we try, no matter how much good we do on this earth, no matter how much success we achieve, no matter how much money we earn, we can never escape our ruins. That's the truth. And so, because of this, you and I in this room this morning are desperately in need of hope. We're desperate for hope. We are in need of a leader who can come and rescue us, but not only rescue us from our ruins, but then also lead us out of those ruins as well. And so, here's the good news this morning. You ready? There is good news. We talked about being hopeless, but the good news this morning is that hope has arrived. Hope has arrived. So if you feel, if you're in this room and you're like, man, I'm feeling hopeless, right? It's hard for me to get my eyes through the darkness that surrounds me. Well, listen, I want to tell you, I got great news for you this morning. Hope has arrived. And I've got five points for you this morning to prove that, that to be the truth, okay? So here's point number one. Point number one is that hope begins in the garden. Hope begins in the garden. Hope doesn't start in the New Testament. It actually starts in the, all the right in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. You'll see this in Genesis chapter three, just after the fall of man. God approaches this young couple, and at that very moment, for the very first time, guess what happens? Adam and Eve have to stand before the judgment of God, and naturally, like any one of us, what did they do? Anybody remember? They ran and hid. Right, just like when when, when mama comes walking into that room and you know you did something wrong, what do you do? You run and hide. That paddle's scary, right? Jesus, or God shows up in the garden, he knows what they've done, they run and hide, and then according to God's grace, he brings them back together. He confronts their issues, right? He deals with their sin, he deals with what they've done, and then here's what he does, and this is really, really important. You've gotta see this from right from the beginning. He, he deals with Adam and Eve, and then he looks over at Satan. He looks at the serpent, and in verse 15 of chapter 3, here's what he says. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and then hear this, listen to this personal pronoun, he, who is he? He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So right from the very beginning, God promises hope. There's hope, and what we need to know this morning is that prior to all of this happening in Genesis chapter 3, God chronicalizes the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 1 and then on into Genesis chapter 2, and what he tells us is that everything was made in absolute perfection, that God and man and beast, creature, all lives in perfect relationship with the God of the universe, the creator of everything that there is. But then Adam and Eve took it upon themselves to figure out a way out of their ruins, right? They they go their own way, and so now you and I even inherited that. We live in our own perpetual ruins, right? That's what the Bible calls sin. Anytime you go your own way rather than God's way, it's called sin. That's our perpetual ruins that you and I experience even today. Now, clearly, we don't like living in ruins. Anybody like living in ruins? No, we don't like disease don't like famine, right? We don't like uh, brokenness that we experience. And so what do we do? Well, we just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and we just try to figure out a way out, don't we? Absolutely, right? We take it upon ourselves to find a way out of these ruins. And sometimes we think, you know what? If I can just be good enough, maybe if I'm good enough, I can escape my ruins. Or if I work hard enough, or maybe if I make enough money, or have enough success in life. Maybe then I can outwork my ruins. You know, some of us in the room think, well, maybe if I, can, if I can just drink enough, maybe I can drown out, maybe I can numb the pain of my ruins or take enough drugs or buy enough stuff. Well, maybe then I can avoid my ruins. But see, here's the truth this morning. The truth that we have to understand this morning is that there is not enough of any of these things to free us from our ruins, There's not enough of any of these things that will ever free you from your ruins. What the story of Nehemiah teaches us is that even building a wall, while it can save us from our enemies, it can't get us out of our ruins. We are hopeless. But hear this, not for long. Remember Genesis 3.15. From the very beginning, right after the fall, God promises a savior And it's a Savior who's going to come to the earth, who's going to put an end to the enemy, and he's going to put an end to our ruins. And that's what we celebrate today. And that leads us to point number two. Point number two is that hope is proclaimed in the Judean wilderness. So we see that hope begins in the garden, but then we turn to the New Testament. And so if you have your Bible, turn to the Gospel of John. As we turn and we flip over from Old Testament to New Testament, we see that a hope is proclaimed in the Judean wilderness. Longing for a way out of their ruins, suddenly a voice comes from a man named John the Baptist. He sees Jesus showing up. Jesus shows up on the scene. John sees him with his eyes, and guess what he says? John chapter 1, verse 29, he sees Jesus come and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who what? Behold, the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin of the world. See, when all seemed hopeless, the light shining in the darkness arrives. And John chapter 1, verse 1 tells us that that light cannot be overshadowed by darkness. There's nothing that darkness can do to overcome that light. For a light has dawned upon us in the person and the work of Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I want to tell you guys just a brief story this morning. On the afternoon of the 2001 terrorist attack, there's a story about a young lady named Janelle. She was officing on the 64th floor of the World Trade Center. She woke up from the tragedy, and here's what she said. I want you to hear this. She said, trapped in the darkness, buried in pulverized cement and glass, I wondered what was happening outside. Was help coming? Had the whole city been hit, the country? I found myself drifting off, then I'd snap awake, then fell asleep. The cycle continued and continued, and then when I awoke, I tried to get a handle on my situation. Things seemed unimaginably hopeless, and after praying, here's what she said, when I opened my eyes, I could see that the dust raised by the collapse was finally settling. A thin ray of light drifted down through the wreckage and and the darkness that surrounded me. Suddenly, I heard a voice call out, hey, just grab my hand, just grab my hand. See, this is the human predicament that we all find ourselves in this morning. Buried beneath the ruins of our own attempts to save ourselves, seeking a salvation in lesser things, frustrated and exhausted by the efforts of trying to just be good enough or trying to earn enough or trying to work just hard enough to just hold on. We find ourselves buried beneath these ruins. And what Janelle's story reminds us is that no matter where we find ourselves this morning, John's voice rings true even after all these years. Behold, the Lamb of God who saves us from our enemies and our ruins is finally here. Even today, John's voice of chapter one, verse 29, applies to you and me in that while we are in our ruins, behold, the Lamb of God who leads us out of those ruins is finally here. Our hope is here. Hope begins in the garden. It's proclaimed in the Judean wilderness, but hear here this, hope also arrives in Jerusalem. Hope arrives in Jerusalem. In John chapter 12, verses 12 through 15, look there with me. This is the triumphal entry. The very thing that you and I are celebrating here today As Jesus makes his final descent into Jerusalem for his final week on earth. He set his mind and his heart on the cross. He knows where he's headed. And verse 12 says this. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hear this, even the king of Israel and Jesus, he found a young donkey and he sat on it just as it was written. Here's what it says, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Here he is, the arrival of our king, the leader that we've needed, the leader that Nehemiah and his people needed. He is finally here, he has arrived. Hope has arrived in Jerusalem, finally, After all these years, here he is, here he is. Hope has arrived. You know, there's something unique about uh, people, humankind. See, we all, uh, we long for leadership. We all long for a leader who's gonna come and, and, and who's gonna lead us. We wanna be led, right? But the problem, even for Nehemiah, is what they found out is while Nehemiah served as a great leader in Jerusalem, he just wasn't enough. He just wasn't enough. He was incapable of leading them out of their darkness. And so sure, yes, he did some great things. Quite frankly, Nehemiah is probably one of the best leaders in the Bible. And yet even then, he was not enough. He was the leader. He wasn't the leader that they truly needed. So Nehemiah is an imperfect type of the perfect leader that the people of God needed. He's an imperfect type of the perfect leader that you and I need in this room even today and so upon Nehemiah's return to Jerusalem he's overwhelmed that his people had returned to their ruins here's what he does you know what you all remember what he does from last week what was the first thing he does somebody help me what's the first thing that Nehemiah does he goes to the temple y'all weren't listening last week the first thing that Nehemiah does when he returns into Jerusalem, he goes straight to the temple. You know what he does at the temple? He cleanses it. He looks around, he says, how can y'all desecrate the temple like this? How could you allow this to happen? And so he begins to confront them. He cleans out to Tobias' stuff. He says, no, get out of here. You don't have a place here in the temple of God, right? And then he goes and he confronts the temple officials and he asks one question. Anybody remember what that question was? How could you have forsaken the house of God? That's what he asks. How could you allow this to happen? And then from there, he goes from the temple officials, then he goes to the nobles, and then he goes on to the people, and you know what he confronts them on? How could you have been so unfaithful to the God of Israel? How could you be disobedient to his word? How could you allow this to happen? And then Nehemiah gets so overwhelmed, so upset, so frustrated that we know that the story ends with him beating up the people and ripping out their hair. Right? That's crazy. And so Nehemiah fails. But what I want you to see is this really unique parallel between Nehemiah and then Jesus. See, in a similar way, Jesus shows up in Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. He, he comes into Jerusalem in, in Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Here's what that text says it tells us that he mourned over Jerusalem. Like Nehemiah, he was grieved over what he saw in Jerusalem, of the, the spiritual depravity that existed there in Jerusalem. And what does Jesus do first? Come on. What does he do first? He goes to the temple. He goes straight to the temple and he shows up and he's mourning over what has happened. He, he asks the question, he says, how can you allow the, my father's house, the house of prayer to be taken over by what? A den of robbers. And so what does Jesus do? He cleanses the temple. And then what does he do? He goes to the temple officials and he says, hey, how could you allow my father's house, a house of prayer to, to become what it is, a place of business? How could you allow this to happen? And then he goes to the people, and through a series of parables, he begins to question them of their spiritual depravity. How could you be unfaithful to the God of Israel? How could you allow this to happen? How could you be disobedient to the word, to his word? But here's where it gets even better. This is where Nehemiah and Jesus separate themselves. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. This is a prophecy given by God to Isaiah for the people. This is Speaking of Jesus, Isaiah chapter 50, verse six, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. See, rather than beating them and ripping out their hair, which by the way, they deserved, right? Jesus took on the beating that was theirs. See the difference? Rather than coming into Jerusalem and allowing his anger to overtake him, what does Jesus do? Jesus takes on the beating that was deserved by them. Not only that, but we learn as we continue reading the story, rather than ripping out their hair, what does Jesus do? They rip his hair out on their behalf. See, Jesus is the leader that we all need. He was the leader that the people of Israel and Jerusalem needed. He's the leader that you and I need today, which leads us to point number four. Point number 4 is that our hope was purchased on a cross at Galgotha. Our hope, your hope, my hope was purchased on a cross at Galgotha. You might look at John chapter 19 verse 16. Verse 16 the text says, so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place to the place that was called the place of a skull. Which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And it was there on that day that they crucified him, and with, with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. And Pilate also wrote on an inscription, and he put it on a cross. It read, The Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And then skip down to verse 28. Verse 28 says, After this, Jesus. Knowing that all was now finished, said, I thirst. And a jar of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch, and it held to, and they held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, here's what he said. It is finished. And there he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. This morning, your hope, my hope was purchased with those final words, it is. Is finished. It is finished. But see, but not before we realize the magnitude of these words. See, in John chapter one, what we learn is is that Jesus, eternally existing with the Father, came to this earth, and not only did He come to this earth, but He took on the ruins of the earth. He took on your ruins. He took on my ruins, and He carried them to the cross. Paul would later say that Jesus bore the ruins, on the, world, the ruins of the world on his shoulders. Innocent as he was, he took on our ruins all the way to the cross where he purchased our hope this morning. And so if you're living in darkness and, man, it just seems like everything around you is filled with darkness. Maybe you feel like, ah, oh, there's just no hope. Listen, I'm going to tell you this morning, the best news of your life is that Jesus accomplished your hope on the cross. He purchased your ruins. He took on your ruins. He took on my ruins, and he nailed them to the cross. And listen to this. Never for you to pick them up again. Man, that's the greatest news that you'll ever hear in your life. That's the greatest news. Our hope was purchased on a Roman cross, but then number five, hope is offered in the words of Jesus. This morning, hope is offered in the words of Jesus. In John chapter 12, verses 44 through 46, Jesus cried out, and here's what he said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. I wanna repeat that again. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. See, at the cross, darkness is destroyed and only light remains. At the cross, darkness is destroyed and only light remains. See, for when we come to the cross, there's no amount of money that can purchase our freedom. There's no amount of money that can purchase our ruins. There's no amount of, of rules that we can follow, laws we can uphold. All striving and self effort is found unnecessary. See, for all of our ruins hang on the shoulders of Him who said, It is finished. All of our ruins. All of them. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 7, He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus shows up on the earth. He purchases our ruins on the cross. But then he offers us a way out through of our ruins. He gives us that glimmer of hope, that shining light in the midst of the rubble and says, hey, this way. Hope is found this way. Come follow me. For I... I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. If you wanna experience life it was, just, if it was always meant to be lived, come follow me. I'm the way, I'm the path, I'm the road. That for all who would put their faith and trust in him, making him Lord of their life, they will find life in his name. Listen, do you have life this morning? Have you experienced this life that Jesus talks about this morning? Or or, or maybe your world, again, is just clouded by that darkness. Well, this morning, you have that opportunity. You have that invitation to come and to find life in his name, to find hope, by the way, that can never be taken away from you. How can anything be taken away from you that was not yours to earn in the first place? Listen, you can't get out of your ruins. I can't get out of my ruins. But thank God for Jesus because he took my ruins to the cross so that I would be able to walk free. And that's the beauty of what we're going to talk about next week. So next week, as we come back together, We're gonna talk about the implications of the cross. So what does that mean for us? As you can imagine, it's Easter Sunday, right? We're gonna celebrate the resurrection, but there's a beautiful reality that as Jesus walks out of the empty tomb, so too do you and I walk out of our ruins forever. See, that's the implication of the resurrection. So that's what we're gonna be talking about next week. And so my hope is, is that this morning you will feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to invite a friend, invite a neighbor, to invite a coworker, man, bring them here as we talk through the implications of the resurrection for you and for me. Okay. So it's going to be a great Sunday. I can't wait to get to worship with you. And so here's what I want to do. I want us to return back to our time of congregational prayer. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to set our heart and our mind on Christ, his coming, his burial and his resurrection. So if you would, please join me in prayer. With every head bowed, every eye closed. I want us to suspend some time this morning, and I just want us to reflect on the ruins. As we look across the world, we look at Ukraine, we look at war, we look at disease, we look at all of these things, Lord. God, I just want us to reflect on the truth, God, that this is not the way that you intended it to be. Now, I want you to think through, okay, God, what? open my eyes. Help me to see the ruins of my own life. Help me to reflect on those things, those very things that led Jesus to the cross for me. As we reflect on the last week of Jesus' life, as we look to the cross, ask the Lord, help me be reminded of the one who bore my ruins on the cross. And then I want you to ask God this, God, refresh me, renew my spirit as I reflect on Jesus's life, his death, his burial, and as we will soon talk about his resurrection, God, help me to be refreshed, to be renewed. Help me to see you through the light. Help me me to see the light that you are through the darkness. then lastly, here's what I want you to pray. God, show me somebody in my life who needs the hope that is Christ, who needs you. God, reveal that person to me right now in this room. Who's the one person? We all have them. Who's that one person who I know is living apart from you? And ask God, God, give me the boldness to share this week. There's no greater time than the Easter season, Father, to offer hope to those who are living in their ruins. And maybe they don't even know it. So, God, give us the boldness, give us the courage to just walk across the room, to walk across the street, to go next door. To offer the hope that is Christ. And then, God, I pray, show me one person that I can invite to the service next week. Who's the one person that maybe they're far from God, maybe they've been struggling to get back in church. There's a great opportunity to invite them back in to church for a new start. worship team, if you guys would come on up, we'll go ahead and close in prayer. Father, we love you. We are so grateful, God, that from the very beginning, you had a plan. You had a plan, God, to redeem us, to save us, to save your people. God, that you were not going to allow us to stay in our ruins, but rather you had a plan, a rescue plan in place all the way from Genesis chapter three, verse fifteen, God, you had a plan. As a matter of fact, Ephesians one says that before the foundation of the world, God, you called your people. That even before it ever happened, God, you knew, and you sought your you fixated your gaze on the redemption and the salvation of your people, and we are here today in this room because of you. Because you loved us so much that you did not want to leave us in our ruins but rather you would give your son to come to this earth to take on our ruins all the way to the cross that we could that we could walk away free unscathed that while we deserved the due penalty for our ruins god you gave your son God, help us to never forget that help us to never get tired of that, never get, grow weary of that, but that truth would be foundational to who we are as people. And Father, we need you today. We need you this morning. We need you to lead us out of ourselves, God, to remind us that our self-help efforts they're not enough. They're unnecessary because you have accomplished all that you are all that we need. God, we thank you as we set our minds now to the resurrection, to the hope that, that is Christ, as He walks out of the empty tomb, God, tomb, God so do we into newness of life. God, help us to live that newness of life. Help us to be a people. We are ambassadors for you on this earth, that when people see us and interact with us, God, they wouldn't, they would see us for the hope that we can offer the world through you. And God, I pray that you would give us the boldness, give us the courage to share that hope, that in season and out of season, God, that you, that we would be equipped for every good work, that we would be quick to proclaim the truth of the gospel, that your kingdom would advance here on this earth as it is in heaven. Father, we love you. We submit these things to you. We submit our lives to you. We entrust it to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.